Hello everyone, welcome to Chomping After Dark, the podcast where we deep dive into the stories of our favorite video games, and also occasionally movies and TV shows. We decided to go back to discuss one of the games from last year that we adored before we get back into current and more relevant topics. We have assembled today to discuss Pixpill's debut game that involves a gruff but lovable man, an affable girl, and a workhorse of a frying pan. Today, we are talking about the darling Eastward. Let me introduce you to the crew that will be kicking off Chomping After Dark this episode. I am joined by Rich Meister, a man who swears that he didn't name his frying pan. Rich, how you doing? You can't fucking prove it. Um, I'm good, man. I'm here. Uh, mealed and hmm. ready to discuss frying pans and other cookware. What What did you cook on your frying pan today? Nothing. I uh, I I went out and I killed a man with it. Jesus Christ. The only thing I cooked was vengeance. Jesus Christ. That's brutal. No, uh, when you cook, do you wish this? I think this is a relevant question. Do you wish you had some kind of little theme that played every time you, you cooked? Like do you, guys not, do you guys not have that? No. That's a thing I have, yeah. Dude, I'm jealous. Yeah, I've been told it's uh, schizophrenia, but not worried about it. <laughs> schizophrenia i like how you (laughs) schizophrenia and i was like i've never heard of that genre (laughs) hey you ever played the schizophrenia genre i think that's a i think that's like a a a kind of theremin Mm, probably but a theremin yeah I don't know. What is that? It took is me that, a few seconds to is register. That, is talking. that a, a reference that all the kids will understand? All the cool kids will. Yeah. But no, Rich, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'd love to banter with you more, but we got a lot to talk about. So um, thank you for being here. I'm also joined today by Josh Fowler, a man who almost made the Demon King his pet, but decided that he'd rather fry a sand roop. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. Been uh, messing around on the uh, on the computer lately. I've been mm-hmm. uh, got a new playing key- that solitaire. Well, I've been I've been uh, got a new keyboard, so I'm messing around with that and just clacking play, away. Play, yeah, playing some stuff and and getting used to that. Learning learning new software. Um, is a uh, that's always I'm fun. an insane person, and I needed to learn a new new DAW instead of just going with the one that I already know. Um, hey, you gotta, you gotta make some uh, some in- exciting times in your life happen. If they're not coming to you, you gotta bring them to y- yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, uh... Basically, all creative software is this way, where they they try to make things so specific and different from everything else in such a unique mm. way that you can never, never leave. Um... That's the plan. Yeah. That's fair. Like, even, even the open source stuff, which, that doesn't make sense. Like, come on, mm. just, just go with something else. But, like, anyway, anyway, it's always always a fun deep dive learning how any new creative software like that works. I can imagine, yeah. And just for the record, how was the sand roof? 
Um, less sandy than you'd imagine. Um, gamey. Yeah, yeah, l- lightly gamey. It's it's got sort of that. Uh, fig sort of uh, a vibe to it mm. you know i i miss a good fig newton to be honest with you mm. can't get him here can you not I miss him there's um there's always fig newtons in the vending machine at my job but like they've been there for so long i feel like you're rolling the dice dude like they came hard. they came yeah. into the building with the machine yeah I, oh. sorry, I assume so. yeah. <laughs> ow burning that machine no but uh that's fair that's fair i'm glad you're here josh i'm glad you're here uh new learning new daws and uh dropping my jaws with that beautiful face of yours <laughs> i got nothing i'm sorry <laughs> i was trying <laughs> almost got one uh, i'm your host shay who spent many many quarters on the earthborn arcade machine i tell you what i loved that game I tell you what bobby tell you what so from this point on of course there will be spoilers if you are concerned with getting spoiled on the game please go play it and come back to listen when you have completed it it's a fairly lengthy game especially if you plan to collect and do everything but now turn the lights down low slip on something more comfortable prepare your recipe book and sip on an exquisitely flavored beverage as we tell you a tale by the fireplace. The Prologue The game starts off with Sam, a white-haired young girl who is obsessed with an arcade game called Earthborn, telling her adoptive father and esteemed digger, John, to hurry as they are late for work in the mines on Potcrock Isle, an underground city of humans. They get to the mine and learn that someone has gone missing. Sam stays behind while John goes in with his trusty frying pan to rescue one of the townspeople. After, the mayor comes to see what useful scrap the diggers have managed to find. He is angry at them for not having dug up more. He sees Sam and tells John that she must start going to school to the joy of Sam. Josh, it's established early on that there is a social caste system in Pockrock Isle that isn't really explored anywhere else in the game. So I think it's a good point to discuss here and now. Do you feel like the inclusion of a social class system is a noteworthy decision, and why or why not? Mm, um, I mean, that's interesting. Um... I, I I like the idea, specifically in the like we're all stuck underground, like um, sort of like a vault in Fallout sort of sort of a situation. Um, like we're all down here stuck with the same resources and whatnot, but over the years, someone's managed to make themselves the leader. Um. It's that's a neat concept, uh, by way of, you know, showing how a system like that would be created in a short amount of time. Um Yeah, like it, I I think I, I, I liked it. I I liked the uh, the idea of, of kinda 
exploring that, you know, kind of from just a just a slightly different angle. Um, although we didn't really get, you don't end up getting a ton of time there to kind of go really deep on that, since you have a whole the whole rest of the game and your adventure to go on. But it's, mm. a, it's a neat way to start. Yeah, yeah, I I have some stuff I want to say about that, but I want I want to get Rich in first on the discussion. Rich, what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't think it's incredibly noteworthy. It is, it's something we see a lot of, kind of what Josh described, like that underground society kind of controlled through fear. You have this one person who rises to the top and keeps his power by, like, maintaining the illusion of it's not safe out there and I'm protecting you. Um, And uh, also, like, Josh and I compared multiple times when talking about this game on the podcast as well that... The setup is literally like the first two episodes of Gurren Lagann. Uh, mm. it, it's like almost identical. Uh, but again, that comes with the territory of the story they're trying to tell, or at least the setup for the world. I, you've seen that idea done in a million other places, and I don't think it was the game's intention or need to, to harp on that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that I feel like it sets itself far enough apart from the source material, as we've said plenty of times in the past. It's a jumping-off point. It's not the point of the story. Yeah, exactly. I think that it could be noteworthy here, considering a few things, and maybe I'm looking too heavily into this. Who knows? I think it's noteworthy, first and foremost, considering where the studio comes from, which Pixbill is a Chinese-based studio, and considering... Not to get too heavily into it, but considering... Is something going on in China? (laughs) uh, Considering the state of the Chinese government and whatnot, that maybe that was an influence for some of this. You know, how... Especially as we're going to get a little bit further into what happens... They've got to say capitalism is bad since they're pretending to be communists over there. Yes. Right. And, and like considering what happens in this game a little bit more in the the first chapter as well as we're going to learn about here shortly, I definitely think that it's within the realm of possibility that they had something to say about their own current state of government. But I think if we look a little bit beyond that as well, I think that there are a lot of issues with a lot of governments in the world right now and looking at them it's an easy thing to write about. You write what you know, you write what you see. And, and what I know is oppression. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, I, I, I think that it's very poignant to what's happening in the world right now in a lot of different governments and spaces and countries. And I think it's a metaphor for something greater as the story develops a little bit more. So I definitely think it's noteworthy. But um, yeah, no, they're I, all I, equal there. Just Winnie the Pooh is a little more equal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, where's Eeyore when you need him? Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I, I definitely think that there's something to be said about where this studio is originating or based out of, as to why I think this is a little bit more poignant than I would have normally given it any thought to. So, yeah. But let's move on from that because, you know, we're not here to discuss politics per se. But it's it's notable. It's notable, I think. Is, Worth is a point. mention. Absolutely. <laughs> the next day, Sam and John go to the mayor's house to get a permission note for Sam to join the school. When they get to the school, they see a young boy named Daniel 
being bullied by some of the affluent children. Damn, Daniel. Sam <laughs> sticks up for him, but <laughs> incurs a verbal onslaught from the rude children. They mention the quote-unquote surface, which they say has nothing up there. Next, we see Sam converse with a red, glowing version of herself while time is seemingly stopped. As Sam is going through her school day, she sees Daniel, the young boy, bullied again. The same three children from before chase him into the basement. Sam goes in to rescue Daniel. John arrives at the school and goes in to find and rescue Sam. They together find and rescue Daniel. The next day, Sam and the children are told that if they go to the Forbidden Land or the surface, disaster will strike Potcrock Isle. Sam says she's been there and it's beautiful. She's kicked out of school, accused of spreading misinformation. Mm. Sam runs away, heading to the Forbidden like Land. <laughs> Sam runs away, heading to the Forbidden Land to prove her classmates wrong. John goes and finds Sam, only to be attacked by a scrap monster. John is injured, and Sam gets help back at Potcrock Isle. The mayor finds out and arrests John and Sam. In jail, they meet Jasper, an entertainer. They find a secret passage in their cell, and the three escape. The mayor finds them in the passage and has them brought to the graveyard. He makes the three board Charon, a train that assures them, that he assures them, excuse me, will bring them to their deaths. Instead, they find out that they're headed for Whitewater Bay on the surface. So, I have two questions here. Let's start with the easier one. When you first saw the red glowing version of Sam Rich, do you remember what you thought was going on? Um, I don't think I had a very good, like, uh, I, I had some, some vague ideas of where they were going with it. I knew there was going to be some sort of weird science fiction, possibly time travel element to this, just because we see a lot of weird abandoned tech, a lot of weird flashes of voices speaking to Sam, and, uh, obviously the intro movie, which is fucking phenomenal, I should say, for anyone who's, like, has not played this and wants to get, like, a taste of the vibe that that intro video is amazing uh shows you that oh, yeah. like sam was dug up by john like he literally finds her like in a pod buried in the earth and then like just kind of raises her like you know there's something mysterious going on with sam it's probably some weird sci-fi or supernatural mumbo jumbo and it's just a matter of finding out what that is yeah yeah and and josh what did you think about that um i i i personally kind of have a uh a soft spot for this style of narrative where it is less we've got a very clear goal from the outset and more uh we have to leave home as the kind of inciting incident um you more of an anything can happen vibe which is yeah. arguably more interesting yeah, like, and granted, it's can be a little bit harder to pull off, you know, pacing with something like that without, you know, a big, big stakes to kind of tie everything together other than, again, like the mystery that you've been given uh, early on. Um, 
but I I really enjoy that. I I've I've Yeah, yeah. Just just as on a on a personal note, I I know that's going to be just kind of different for everyone like what sort of mood they're in, but uh I like that. I really like the you know, we're leaving home, we can go do anything now feeling that mm. uh, that this that this gives. Um yeah, I I like that and um what what did you also think about the the kind of discussion between Sam and the alternate version of Sam? Ooh. What were your thoughts on that as well? Um like I I guess what did you first think when you saw that? Did you know uh, where um have any I idea where the story was headed when they were trying Celeste. to do that. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, um I feel like I've seen enough stories that are, you know, hitting similar notes at this point that it's, you know, obvious these are, you know, two sides of the same person sort of a thing. Like the dark Sam seems to know more about what's going on, still has more mm. memories. Um whether or not that's like repressed or repressed side of her or or what mm. and that this is kind of understanding that part is going to be key to learning what's going on in kind of the world in general and and her backstory um like i've i've seen that enough to kind of you know i've got big a you know a big hunch about where it's going from here, but I'm still intrigued uh, to kind of know what exactly they're going to do with it. Um, but yeah, like I kind of, I had an idea based off of that setup where things th- were kind of going. Right. I, I think that's one of the things that's really noticeable about the writing here is that what they managed to do, Pixpill is they manage to give you more information than the characters, the main characters, mm-hmm. but also they don't give you the whole picture. You know, like there are certain yeah. stories where the writing style will be, you know what's going to happen before the characters. Yeah. But that's not what happens here. What happens is you're given more information, but you find out right when the main characters do. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know a little bit more, but also you don't really know all that much more. And it's a, I think that's such a cool narr- uh, narrative style. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's never been done or anything like that. I just, I really liked this that. This is that's... a totally new idea. <laughs> yeah, brand new. No, I really like that that's how they fil- filtrated out. Not filtrated. They, uh, Filter. I, I always want to say filtrated when I mean titrated. And titrate is not a good word to use because I think it's not a very common word. But basically, they give you some more of the information. I really like how they just turn the faucet on a little bit for mm-hmm. you, which is essentially what titrating is. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really it's like, like that pre-com. style. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I didn't really know exactly what was going on either. Uh, when, when they were doing that, I, I had some ideas and some of what I initially believed ended up, coming to fruition but not exclusively all of that and i'm glad that i was a little bit surprised by the end but the second Mm -hmm. question i wanted to ask based off of what i just read josh is when you saw how daniel and sam were treated by the children at the school did it make you angry at all legitimately angry because for me like when i was playing through those sequences i legitimately felt really hot 
under the collar. I was a little bit pissed off when I was watching this happen. And obviously, the game's trying to elicit that from the player, but I was wondering if you felt affected by it. Yeah, no, I definitely did. And I had kind of, you know, this feeling of like just, just wanting... I mean, we've seen this enough, you know, the the whole, you know, bullies finally get what's coming to them thing. I'm like, Sam, Sam's going to finally, you know, realize her powers and beat the shit out of these little fuckers. But, uh, you know, like, they, do, they don't go there, you know, in, in kind of the way you're, you know, hoping for in that, you know, dumb ape brain cathartic way that you're kind of hoping. Yeah. And it, um, yeah. Yeah, you're like you just come you on, Doc, stick your fucking frying pan to the children's face, and you're like, wait, what am I saying? Yeah. What am I thinking? <laughs> you kill those kids. <laughs> I know, right? You know, you're right. It is a very ape-brained, instinctual thing to think. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Rich, how about you? Did you feel? No, nah, it just took me back to my good old days of being a bully. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're the bully, is what you're saying. Yeah, I was like, fuck these little dipshits. You're like, uh, oh, man, the, the pleasures of stealing someone's lunch money. I wish I could do that yeah, all over no, again. No, mm-hmm. Give me a surface. It's like I was all up on your it's... mom's surface last night, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah. And then we high five. <laughs> uh, but I no, I, th- I think it elicits the, uh, you guys... As you said already, it elicits the feelings it's supposed to. Like, that's intentional. They're they're trying to get a rise out of that part of your brain to be like, no, this is fucked up. Yeah, for sure. And for me, being a teacher, um, not to me being a bully, you being a bully, (laughs) me being a teacher, as I got into it, I was thinking about how, how important it is, not to get in my soapbox too much here, how important it is for parents to really set a good example for their children, because I think that is something that is explored thematically here as well, mm-hmm. as obviously these children are coming from a society where their parents are kind of dickheads and they're coming from a society that, like I said earlier, the social caste system where they're well off and they benefit as a result from that. And that's how I grew up in a smaller town, you know, when I wanted to play sports. It was always the children whose parents were connected that mm-hmm. got the playing time. Yeah, you and, know, you know, all the ones that show up in Jeeps. <laughs> yes. Yes, essentially. Essentially, or big fucking Since somehow that was the upper middle class vehicle of our childhood. Yeah, for you, for me, I, th- I think growing up in Montana, for me, it was uh, fucking Ford F-150s. Ah. I think it still is Ford F-150s, probably, if I were to go back, you know. But or Chevy trucks, whatever, whatever fucking truck people drive. I don't give a shit. People fucking love trucks in New York too. For some reason, they'd be like, "My Ford F one fifty. I'm like, "You're a fucking attorney." Uh-huh. <laughs> the fuck, do you need a Ford F one fifty for? You know what's funny? You know the like, best part it, about that? Oh, you can fairly easily make it impossible to own an F one fifty in New York with just you know a set of keys and a good afternoon. It wouldn't take you that long to make that a completely untenable vehicle to own in new york i, I don't know why you not, want not a that tana, i'm trying to give anyone vehicle. any ideas but no yep. that's this is all an original plan no no just just a thought in the in the in the city that i teach in here in japan i've seen one truck like a like an actual truck mm-hmm. and it's owned by a foreigner huh 
I was hoping it was going to be uh, owned by a very small elderly Japanese man who wears a cowboy hat. <laughs> yep, yep. The only truck I'm that... actually interested in is like one of those little three-wheeled like delivery truck. They they deals. have a lot of those here. Yeah, like they do. That have makes a lot sense. Of those. That makes sense. Yeah, but little, I'm talking the, about the like little an one actual... seater. Those are yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's they have. Those. If I got a truck, that's what I'd get. Something actually, you know, useful. Right. Sure. Yeah. Pra- practical. <laughs> I don't know if I can actually not, get it up and down the hills around here. Not but terrible yeah. for the environment, is what mm-hmm. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's jump back in before we get any more uh, delayed by our well, own What was tangents. this podcast about? Uh, trucks. So the train announcer warns them of a change in air pressure, and the three peer out the window as they crest the surface seeing lush mountains and verdant forests. The train stops at Whitewater Bay Station. They exit and follow the mountain pass. They meet Uva, a kind woman with a dog named John. She leads them to Greenberg, a village. Uva and the mayor of Greenberg allow John and Sam to use a cabin just outside of the town to rest, while Jasper takes fancy to a local girl enamored with his stories. John and Sam help the townsfolk with tasks. After, the three visitors all have dinner at the mayor's house with the mayor and Uva. Uva invites them to stay over. Uva and John share a moment by the pond before John returns to the cabin alone. The next day, a rancher loses his herd, so John and Sam go into the forest to help. They find a factory with weird technology. Sam sees the alternate version of herself who turns something on. A computer reads diagnostics before stating that it will release something called miasma in six hours. They also see many breeding chambers. They return for the harvest festival where the townspeople party together. After, John and Sam head back to the cabin. A mysterious figure arrives and tells them to leave because the miasma is coming. They are escaping through the forest when the miasma starts chasing them and trapping them. The alternate Sam takes over using a special power to save John. A robot appears out of the mountainside calling Sam Mother. Sam, quote-unquote, Sam orders the robot to take John as they escape. The next scene shows the miasma destroying the village and everyone in it. The mysterious figure rescues Jasper only, and he is distraught that he couldn't save the villagers. They board the train as it speeds off. So I really like the writing here because in a short chapter of the game, the writers managed to make you care about the villagers and their fate. Rich, were you surprised that the villagers were killed early on? Um, I was honestly surprised we departed Greenberg and it ended that way so quickly. But I, I think it's a good chance to like properly kind of set tone and give you an idea of the type of story they're trying to tell. Because I, I think I remember I was one of the... Of the three of us, I think I got through this game the quickest. Um, and I think, I think so. 
getting to this point was where I was first like, no, no, you guys have to play this game mm-hmm. because uh, like he, here we, we we gloss over a little bit like that moment when you get on the train when you first arrive in Greenberg when like the light changes and the whole tone of everything changes is I feel like that's the moment I was completely sold on this game. Same. Where I was like, oh, okay, I see where we're going. I see what kind of story we're telling. And then here it just kind of pulls the rug out from under you in a way that is jarring, but also feels necessary to kind of strap you in for the story they're trying to tell. And that it is a story about loss and just kind of John and Sam getting out of one bad situation. Um, only to be like, okay, this is, things are already better, but then things go south so quickly. It's, surprising but like impactful in ways this is one of the choices like this or why this story is so effective and why this game is so good yeah i i'm gonna go in here first josh sorry i i've been letting you guys no, answer no, questions first i'm i'm gonna be selfish on this one i i i didn't want to gloss over that part because that was definitely i think the one of our favorite moments in this game and i think actually last year it was our favorite moment is when we crest out of this out of the underground onto the surface in uh by the way josh corrected me through messaging it's karen not charon i knew i fucked up that name but i'm glad he corrected me on that but no that's one that's easy to to miss if you yeah not yeah, way no, you're, too you're, into greek mythology no you're you're absolutely right and i i had i was like as i was saying it i was like i'm pretty sure it's karen but um you know I, I wasn't sure if I was saying that right. But anyways, um, that was definitely one of our favorite moments of last year. And I wanted to at least note it a little bit so we could discuss it through the question. So I'm glad you brought that up, Rich. But yeah, I I was really surprised by the choice to do that um, in the game because the the whole chapter is really about getting to know John and Sam in this environment, learning more about them, learning more about these townspeople and these townspeople, they have so much personality. You you talk with all of them and they're so kind and they're so happy to see John and Sam and Jasper and the rug is kind of pulled out from under you. And it, it makes sense because when you're in the underground, they talk about that. They talk about that. There's, something deadly on the surface and that's why nobody there exists well obviously half of that isn't is incorrect but the other half turns out to be true there is something deadly on the surface and that Mm -hmm. is why they went underground to escape it and you get the first flash of that here in this sequence and it it was really sad it was really sad to lose all these townspeople that quickly yeah i think uh weirdly uh, a lot of the Jasper stuff I remember talking a lot about at the time is some of my favorites in your time in Greenberg, just because yeah. your heart kind of breaks a little bit more for him because you get such an insight into, like, Jasper is sort of this, like, broken person who there's almost no need for someone like him in a society like Pot Crock Isle, and finally he gets out and sort of feels like, I can have a life here, and people like me, and I can be happy here, and then just fucking everything is destroyed. Yeah. I I think that's yeah I think that's really important to note because growing up in a small town there were people like that that I grew up with who were just these um 
I don't want to say flamboyant, that's not quite the right word, just these larger-than-life personalities, and they just, they grew so far beyond the the conditions that they were brought up in, you know what I mean? They mm-hmm. they just, they had this this personality and this this aura about them that was like, they're, they're meant for something bigger than where they're at. And yeah. so, yeah, in a lot of ways, his story is super tragic, because he he... Like you said, he finally gets to somewhere that it feels like, oh, okay, he can be appreciated here, that he can grow here and he can flourish here, only for it to be taken out from him as well. Yeah, of course. Excuse me. Feel bad for the the townspeople. Absolutely. But also, there's something to be said about, um, you know, Jasper and John and Sam and what they lose as well, which we'll we'll be exploring later on in in the discussion but yeah i think that is a really good point josh <clears throat> excuse me sorry i don't know if you want to add anything to what we had to say but um, um do you feel like there's anything else you want to mention about this i mean not really like kind of on the, the emotional like what what the section is doing um but like i kind of saw from the outset where this whole section was going as far as it's the first place you've been right after getting out of there. It seemed really weird how quickly they were having everyone settle down and, you know, get into this small town life. Like, something's got to give. Yeah, it seemed pretty obvious that something horrible was going to be going on here uh, as far as, you know, to to continue your your journey past this point. Um, so I, I I had, you know an inkling of what they were doing with this section of the game. Um, But again, um, something this game does really well, and this is less narrative than, like, polish level, is Mm. having... This is an RPG where all the characters are different. Like, you, you walk through a town, and there aren't, you know, man one and man two that you you see on every corner or whatever. Every character in the game is a new character um, with their own personality and, frankly, way too many animations for the tiny amount of screen time a lot of them get. Um, And it makes them all feel so fleshed out that even though I kind of saw where it was going, everyone you interact with in this whole section, and a lot of them are optional to even talk to, but it's absolutely worth talking to everyone in this game this is this is one of those talk to everyone sort of games because it's just it's just a delight to get to t- like especially like the the three old ladies in this town are like some of my favorite characters from the game as far as just little minor side characters um that all have just so much personality um as kind of these you know the three old ladies in town um yeah. And I think it I think it really helped to make the moment land um that you do. You in a very short amount of time you feel a connection with all these people. Uh, and I think that level of polish really helps to actually make the story work cuz it would be it would be really easy to have something like this feel like you know just nameless people 
bunch of red shirts um you know that that have to die sort of a feel to them and uh they don't like they there aren't there aren't disposable characters in this world even if the narrative has something else to say about that um i think it's so important that they that pixpill had you get attached to the villagers early on mm-hmm. because then it really drives home what is happening in the story um i think yeah. i, I th- it's it's that's that's part of what makes this story so amazing but it, yeah it just still surprised me so much when it happened mm. okay well let's jump back in then they are back on the train and sam has no recollection of what happened john tries to console jasper the three meet a man named William and his robot son, Daniel. The three tell William and Daniel that they're from Potcrock Isle. William pretends to know nothing of the place. The train stops at Crystal Lake Dam, which leads to New Dam City. John and Sam meet some of the citizens, and one tells them of a job with someone called the Princess. They go and meet Alva, an inventor and scientist. They also run into the mysterious figure who turns out to be Isabel, Alva's assistant and significant other. John and Sam become Alva's assistants, and their first mission is to retrieve a slime breeding furnace from Old Town, a part of New Dam City that's abandoned. They go out and meet Brotherhood Construction, ran by Mung, who tells them where to go. They leave the city and clear the monsters, allowing for the construction company to fix the old train station. After clearing the monsters from Old Town, they retrieve the furnace. They find another factory, similar to the one near Greenberg. They ride the local subway back to the city. As they come out of the station, they hear a man named Solomon threaten the townspeople. They return to Alva to give her the furnace. In exchange... Alva gives Sam some cool red shoes and lets them stay in her place. So a lot of character and plot development happens in this chapter. What was one of your favorite moments from this chapter, Josh? Ooh. Um, goodness, so much happens. Like you said. Yeah, there's to, a to lot p- that pick happens. Pick a favorite in that thing. Um, ooh. I really like the group of kids, and this is, again, like side stuff, the group of kids who are super into Earthborn here mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that you can meet outside the, uh, outside the, 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 you know, the little, you know, convenience shop in town um, just because this is kind of something that Sam has loved, that you know, throughout the adventure so far, but not really had anyone to talk to about it and kind of seeing her meet these kids around her age finally and kind of who aren't complete assholes like everyone she's met so far um, Mm -hmm. and kind of get to connect with them and, you know, just geek out over something they all love is just like one of the character moments kind of throughout the entire game that I think really uh, just makes you connect with her character so much. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great pick. 
yeah, I love I love the moments where she gets to interact with those kids. Mm-hmm. For sure. Rich, how about you? What was one of your favorite moments from this chapter? Um, that's another. There's so much stuff to kind of even explore in the city. In the city, even in like the early bits. Um, and some of my favorite, another kind of not necessarily side because some of it's side stuff, but other stuff does intersect with the main story in a big way. Um, on the sort of like off the beaten path, like west end of the city, um, there's this sort of like caravan of like traveling performers that uh, Jasper falls in with and sort of finds his place in and I really like all of them like they like, like we talked before about how Jasper is like this larger than life character who is clearly meant for like he can't be a fucking digger and just go about his life like he's a performer and like very much that over the top sort of character like that and he basically finds this group of people that are all him in their own way yeah absolutely yeah i i love the interactions that he has and i love as we're gonna get into a little bit later here he kind of find his home i really like that oh yeah i for me i think my favorite part of this chapter is just meeting mung and the construction crew because they're they're uh, their own set of characters and i like mung's dynamic where he's just this he's this gruff but lovable character he's like he he mirrors john in a lot of ways but he's a little yeah. bit more boisterous than john i would say he's got more to say <laughs> he's got he more to say <laughs> for sure for sure i just i love that interaction where they're all giving each other shit as they're working on the construction yeah. reconstruction of the uh railway I, I love that the interaction with that crew i think that's one of the one of my favorite little side things about the game is like Mung and his interactions with the various people oh, yeah. employed underneath him. Yeah. I, I think that is a character archetype and one that people like. And it always makes in video games specifically, when you see that, it always takes me back to like the Zelda, like Carpenter Brothers thing, because like there's something just inherently charming about like all these like lovable goofballs just like doing hard labor during the day walking around doing this and that in the background i don't know it's just charming it is yeah yeah Yeah. i love it too yeah i love that two of them keep quitting because they find they get duped into some get rich quick scam or other and so like different at different points throughout the game they quit and then you you know talk to them and convince them that they're getting scammed Mom and then, and like, then they beg for their jobs to come back <laughs> yeah like repeatedly these these two just like yeah no it always gives you like that kind of like he's like listen i want him to come back but i can't just offer it back to them like mm-hmm. i need to make them think like they're working right. for it and they're yeah. out there fucking selling LuLaRoe. yeah yeah yoga <laughs> pants uh, fucking oh, i love it they really are yeah. great characters yeah they are very great All right, let's get back into the story. The next day, Sam heads to the casino to find her friend. She uses a gambling machine and ends up winning over and over. John wakes up and goes to the casino to find Sam. The owner, Lee, brings them into his office. He tells them of a prophecy that the wind god will help save the people of New Dam City in the future. He also makes a bet with Sam. Sam agrees and plans to make Lee a delicious dish. They run into William and Daniel outside, who give them hints of where to find special ingredients. They leave the city to meet an old man. 
He gives them a special berry. They gather the rest of the ingredients and head to Alva's, but they are stopped by Daniel, who says one of the ingredients will save a sick William. Sam gives the ingredient to Daniel. Lee goes to Alva's, where he eats their improvised ghost pepper jelly, but he is unsatisfied. He gives them another chance to fulfill the bet. They plan to make a new dish the following day. We see Solomon in the factory from earlier when the alternate Sam walks in, foreshadowing doom. The following day, after running some errands, they get the ingredients for dish two. While they are cooking, Jasper comes to Alva's asking for John's and Sam's help. Alva promises to watch Alva promises to watch the dish. They help the circus get ready for their show that night. Meanwhile, Lee goes to Alva's again, only to find the dish overcooked. Lee tells Sam and John that they have one final chance. The circus staff bring John and Sam the ingredients for one final dish as a thank you. They set out to gather a special fish. They return and prepare the meal for Lee. After eating, he declares Sam the winner of the bet. John, Sam, Alva, and Isabel celebrate by going to the onsen, also known as the hot spring. This chapter really shows off the superb writing in the game. Rich, can you speak to the character development of the various characters in this chapter just for a little bit? Like, what did you think? Sure. Um, I think every... The thing I love most about this game is its fucking characters. Um, for one, uh, I think William and Daniel were like two of the uh, ones I talked about the most in terms of characters I just absolutely adore in this game. And uh, there's nothing I like more than watching William and Daniel like try and run the shittiest grift in the world. But somehow, <laughs> uh, somehow Sam and John are gullible enough Keep to Keep falling for it, yeah. Um... But this actually, and we will talk more about him as we keep going forward. Lee is probably one of my favorite characters in this game. And yeah. it's solely because you look at Lee and the context he's introduced under, and he is very much a caricature. Like, you have seen this person in video games before. This type of character has been done, and that is not who he is at all. It is all surface level, and there is so much more to him mm -hmm. than what they present to you uh, at first. Yes, absolutely. I, I just want to go in on Lee really quickly. When I first saw him, I thought, okay, typical mob boss. He's like the Don Cornario <laughs> yes. type. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then as you get further into the game, you're like, why is he giving these guys another chance? And why is he giving these guys another chance? And then um, you learn more about the character as you're trying to satisfy his uh, culinary cravings. And it just, it really goes deep into the character of, oh, he used to eat this when he was a child because it reminded him of his family. And you're like, okay, I would not have expected that from a mob boss. And then just how how kind he is about Sam. There's a point in the game where he talks about Sam as a, a, a girl or a person he thinks could take over the world. And it's like, and there's a point in this chapter where he offers Sam his role. <laughs> He's like, you want, you want to be the owner of the casino? Like you could fucking run the world essentially. He's looking and, for his heir. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And 
Sam's like, no, nah, I'm good, but thank you. It's it's just it's such a cool interaction. Lee is such a fascinating character. Yeah. He's one of my favorite last year. But Josh, I want to get you in here. Um, what what can you talk a little bit about the character development in this chapter and what you thought about it? Mm. Um, I hated it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's suck. it's this is another one of those. Everything is so dense in this section. Like there's there's so much going on. Uh, once you get to New Dam City, that. So much of the game takes place here. Like yeah. a good sixty percent of the game takes place in, in Yeah, New- it's 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 a weird pacing. Um like most games will kind of, you know, have you really get to know the beginning area and then go off to explore somewhere else. Um whereas this one this is this is and kinda like you mentioned before with, you know, Jasper finding a place to call home. This this is that. This is this is kind of what this chapter ends up being and it always feels tenuous like the entire time throughout because um because of what you just went through like twice now getting kicked out of your own town and then having the first place you go to just get completely destroyed. Um I think it's really telling from and I think I made it the thumbnail image for our review on the website. There's that like point in the story where like the whole town basically takes a picture in the town square together. Yeah. I mean, like that's so telling of like what the shape of that game is, like all these characters and how they kind of affect each other and like it, it a lot of the game is about New Dam City as a community. Yeah, yeah, so much of it. Um Oh, speaking of which, this is one the the place where you get repeat characters and they do a funny job of it because it's it's all the it's all the muscle that work for lee uh all of his all of his bodyguards are the same looking character um but they all can tell each other apart and he knows who they all are like they've got different things going on like it's it's well naturally yeah he's not a terrible boss yeah it's it's just it's funny because like you'll kind of meet them and you can kind of You'll eventually, like, you can't, obviously, you can't tell them apart because they're identical pixel art, but, like... They're palette swaps, yeah, the, <laughs> but, the, like, he can. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, like, the stories going on with them, um, like, the one guy who's stuck guarding the gate and who eventually wants to move up in the, in the company to, to have a better guard post, basically, um, it's, there's, there's... There's so much going on, so many characters to get to love in this town. Um, but I think, kind of we, like we mentioned before, with, with William <sighs> convincing poor Sam to go do some stupid thing or another to make him money, and, you know, is just one of the funniest bits to me that like it's over and over again like it that's kind of because the they're reason- not good at it but he, they keep doing it yeah it's it's yeah like he found he found his mark and he's not going to give it up um which is just it's just funny um i admire the commitment yeah yeah um it's it's interesting having a character who is constantly screwing you over but somehow still told in a way that comes off as lovable um, it's endearing somehow. yeah that they're able yeah. to pull it off and i think that's one of my favorite like just kind of 
you character moments going on in this chapter because I mean like that like you mentioned with with Lee giving you multiple chances the reason you need multiple chances is because Sam keeps on getting distracted by some grift or other that William suckers are into um, through this section and you wander off and you know mess up the meal one way or another um, yeah there's always something happening. Like Sam has such a good heart that she just wants to help everybody. Yeah. And she keeps getting kind of screwed over. Incidentally, like yeah. first it's William and Daniel that need help. And then it's Jasper that needs help. And she's like, she drops whatever she's doing. She's like, yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that <clears throat> not to only bring it back to Lee, but also to bring it back to Lee <laughs> is that he recognizes that like, she is this very benevolent human being and she's just trying to do everything she can and that's what i think like he's trying to show and i didn't realize this quite at the time but looking back on it i think he realizes she is trying her best and i respect that Mm -hmm. she she just wants the best for everybody i'm willing to give her another chance but he can't let her see that he's he appreciates her benevolence because you know his reputation is at stake Mm -hmm. and I, i i like that 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 kind of backstory with Alva as well, that he used to be a much kinder, nicer human being, and then when he became this this boss, that he kind of lost sight of that. And seeing Sam do all these things for people and then still wanting to help him made him realize kind of how far he strayed from who he used to be and all the good characteristics and qualities about him and what he missed about that and he starts to change that later in the story as we're going to get to here very soon yeah there's a lot that happens for many different characters in this section and i i I loved it it was it was a master class to me of good character development in a game oh yeah yeah hell yeah that's this is that's one of the places this game absolutely stands like leagues above others Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Alright, let's jump back in. John has a dream about the townsfolk of Greenberg. He is woken up by Sam telling him that the miasma is coming and they must evacuate. They go to the wind shrine. Alva and Lee are directing efforts to start the massive wind fan to blow away the miasma. There is a bum circuit which Isabel goes to tend to. There are also three people missing which John and Sam go to find. They find Jasper and rescue him at the circus camp. They run into Mung, who tells them that two of his workers are missing. John and Sam save them and bring them to the casino where everyone has evacuated to. They run into Solomon, trying to summon Karen, but he is hauled off by one of Lee's men. The wind fan works, blowing the miasma away. Sam and John go to Alva's to sleep. Alva and Isabel share a tender moment at the nearby pub. So there have been some great moments for inclusion in gaming recently. Psychonauts 2 had some awesome moments, so it was wonderful it was wonderful to see another great moment with Alva and Isabel in this chapter. Josh, why do you think that these moments in gaming are important for non-LGBTQ people? Um I mean something that I think is going to take a long time for people to get used to because they're Stupid fucking diaper babies who are <laughs> just pathetic wastes 
of our oxygen um God is damn. the idea that someone can be anything other than cis and straight and that just your be experiences normal. are not universal and that just be a normal thing um and it's no part of isabel um and my brain just shut off um alva alva i don't know why anyway isabel and alva's relationship is like like it's not a romance story it's like they're they're well established they've been like this is this none of this is new for them so you're their not relationship getting, is what it is yeah. yeah you're not watching two people like fall in love with each other yeah they don't have to do that it's just this is this is a thing that has been for such it's a long time the status quo yeah um and i think that's great because those are the sort of things there there there's there's all sorts of media where you know someone's in a relationship and that's not part of the story just you, you know it's a background thing it's like it's part of their character or whatever but not not the narrative um and i think having i've heard so many people argue about like oh you're just throwing it in there you know for no reason throwing it in our faces and i'm like no they're they exist it happening to be there is not throwing it in your face and i think that's that's why we need to see more well just kind of inconsequentially queer characters well here's where where i'll I'll tack on to that there josh like the idea of like why is this important for people who are not lgbtq is go it's important because we still feel the need to have this conversation at all yeah exactly (laughs) exactly it, it will not be important when this is completely innocuous and we don't even feel a need to address it yeah yeah, and I, I, I feel like I feel like these sort of rep- representations help get us there. Yeah, sure. I I want to be honest with you guys about something. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it's it's directly related to this. I was watching Euphoria, the second season. I'm not an... caught up yet. No spoilers. Okay, I'll do it in a non-spoiler way. There are two <laughs> characters in there that um. Do you want me to just take my headphones off? Do you want to relay this to just It's not spoiler, I promise. Okay. You won't know. There are two characters in there that um, this episode is building them up at the beginning, and about a quarter of the way through the episode, like, you can see through the beginning that basically there are these two characters that connect on this deep level, and there's something romantic budding between them, but they their initial appearance is as hetero characters and about a fourth of the way, they finally share this like really intimate, passionate kiss. I knew it. And the whole time, the whole time, like there, there was this like build up in this one scene. And I was like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Like do it, kiss each other. And 10 years ago, I couldn't have imagined having that thought. Sicko's meme. I, I don't know what that means. Sicko mode. No, have you not seen that? Have you not? The, no, I, it wasn't. I think that was a. I think it was originally an onion. Oh comic. yeah, I don't know. But anyway, it's anyway at, at any at any point, it's it's just some guy with a shirt that says "sickos" looking in looking in a window. Oh going, no, yes, yes, I do know that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know, that's exactly I know what it was like. Yeah, except no, I was watching it through my yeah. TV screen. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so I'm watching this and. 
10 years ago, I wouldn't have had that thought, to be honest with you. I, I like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be completely honest. The, the thought of watching two men or two it women on comic. the screen kissing or doing any kind of sexual activity kind of weirded me out and grossed me out in a way. Um, Square. and to be honest with you, I did have a little bit of prejudice. I think I was more watching Fucking two crew. men than two women, though. It still did gross me out a little bit, to be honest with you. And <laughs> I, I, and Josh is laughing, by the way, because he just sent the meme, just so. Yeah. He's not laughing at what I'm saying. <laughs> Once you said uh, it was an Onion comic, I immediately knew what you were talking about. Yeah. But I think that the reason why this kind of representation is so important is, f- and this is a discussion we've had so many times, and I- I'm okay to continue to have it because it needs to be said, is normalization is such a big thing right now. Immersion therapy for all these fucking sexist assholes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it like, it helped me understand and be more empathetic to why this is important for other people. And yes, it doesn't directly impact me. I I'm, I'm a cis hetero white man, but I have friends who are in the LGBTQ community in that spectrum. However you want to word that. Yeah. And it affects them, and I care about them. And well, even if I didn't have those friends there, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Because people yeah. deserve th- to be accepted. Yeah, I think well, the and... important part that you said there is it doesn't affect you. And for such a long time, even though it doesn't affect most of the people who are trying to make their lives miserable, we pretend that, that it that affects them in such a horrible way by you know, being anything other than completely horrible. Well, normalization is like the key, right? Yeah. Because Shay, like you said, you would admit it. And I think we would all say this when we were younger, maybe there was a point where it's like, you'd look at it and it like made you uncomfortable. And why did that happen? It happened because you basically never saw that happen. And anytime you did more often than not, there was probably someone commenting or saying something to make you, to make, yes, to make you think that that is not normal. Right. It was, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to out anybody on this podcast, but yeah, I definitely had people in my life who would either Hold make... On, let me pull up a list. I'll add a few people. Yeah, do it. <laughs> do it! That would either... Yeah, it'd be the butt end of the joke or someone would be like, ew, I don't want to see this shit! And it's like... Yeah. Like, I don't... It doesn't bother me. It is what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I'm just... I'm really happy that more and more games are starting to put this stuff... And I say this stuff just very loosely. <laughs> all of it. This inclusion in media yeah, yeah, in general. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, w- I want to see more of it because I want it to be more normalized. And Because you're a sicko. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I want to see more of it. <laughs> Show me it. <laughs> Show me what you got. Now kiss each other. Wait, that's something different. Anyways. Um, and Rich, I, I have now a question kiss. for you. I have a question for you. What do you think the wind stopping the miasma symbolizes? Does it symbolize anything? And what do you think it symbolizes? I think it symbolizes wind. Um, <laughs> I was going to be a dick and say gentrification. Um, Damn. I don't know. I didn't like read into it too much. Uh, I'm sure if I wanted to dig deeper and be a smart boy and look for underlying themes, I could find some you know, underlying message about time or technology 
uh, you know, destroying the environment. I think it probably leans more towards that. That was about the only thing I ever had in my notes when I was playing that, like, it is a very clear one-to-one, like, the hubris of our technology destroying the planet type stuff. Um, but, you know, that's why my favorite book is Moby Dick, just a good old-fashioned story about a man who hates an animal. <laughs> no underlying <laughs> metaphors or themes. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, Josh, did you think there was any kind of deeper meaning or symbolization here? I, I mean, I don't think really symbolism. I think it's like, again, like this is this is well-trod apocalypse metaphors, like... We're fucking killing the planet, so if you know yeah. any any story that's basically one. about us, you know, the planet having been killed already, yeah, I I I I do like the the resilience in the face of that, and kind of showing how, like again, like it's it's built on a dam using you know renewable energy sort of thing, and big fan to 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 fix our problems. Like it's not that technology is the problem. It's not some big. Our application of technology is the yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the it's exactly it's the unfettered the greed, and and less so that you know oh technology is evil and it's it's ruining everything. Like that's not what's ruining everything. And I I like kind of seeing that. Yeah, like the. Ugh. Granted, they're not the highest tech civilization in this, but they were able to make these old machines continue to work, and survive even though you know the world is completely going to hell around them um and yeah like this 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 the entire this entire section of the game i think really shows that really well just kind of the just the resilience of humanity um yeah yeah i i i think that's right i think that I, I was trying to I was trying to think about if this symbolizes anything because it, it's it's interesting. What's interesting about it is that you enter this little shrine, f- and it's mm. dubbed the Wind God Shrine. And I was trying to think why would they take all this time to put this in? Like, what is the equivalent of almost a sanctuary in a way? And I was trying to think if there's any deeper meaning behind that. And I couldn't necessarily think of it. I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. Trying to figure out the the symbolic meaning of things but um maybe you're right maybe that's all it is but i mean there could be other stuff there just because again it's from a culture that i'm not a part of that that's what i was just gonna say yeah you know there could be more metaphor there than i have the context for but i I think there's definitely a reading of it kind of like i described and even if i'm not getting the whole thing i think good art supports multiple readings like that Mm. and this Mm. this it works without having additional context if i am missing something yeah i completely agree with that okay let's get back into the story the following day john and sam go to meet alva in the wind shrine meanwhile the miasma starts to return alva orders everyone to evacuate to the casino again John and Sam have to use the maintenance tunnels since the elevator is not working. The cooling system goes down on the fan, so Isabel goes to fix it. She orders Alva to stay in the control room. After another earthquake, Alva goes in after Isabel anyways. Sam and John arrive in the control room to find no one there. 
They find Solomon inside spouting nonsense. He calls Sam mother and attacks them. After defeating him, they run back to the control room. Isabel emerges from the machinery with Alva's lifeless body. She leaves the control room in silence, carrying Alva. The chapter ends with John having a hybrid dream slash memory where he talks to his digger friends back at Potcrock Isle and recalls finding Sam in one of the cloning chambers. It isn't until this chapter that Solomon starts emerging as a villain in the game. The outcome is foreshadowed in a lot of earlier sections, but especially with Solomon's interactions with Sam and John. Josh, do you have a preference between a foreshadowed story such as this or just being blindsided by a twist? Or, for you, is it more about the quality of the story and the pacing? feel like there were too many twists in this. Like, there's there are mysteries, but none of it feels like it's completely completely reframing um anything you've seen so far um other than okay. uh kind of giving you the additional context kind of surrounding it just kind of zooming out is more like giving you more scope of everything mm. more mm. than you thought it was this way but really it was this um with with the way most of the reveals happen in this story uh it's more about just even more context and then even more context um sort of sort of reveals um Mm. and i i i really like that as far as um you know kind of a way to tell a story um i mean it's not the only way like there there are a bunch of other um Kind of like we mentioned before, like in a, in a lot of RPGs, it's kind of the opposite way around. It's like you've got you've got the big story, like you know who the big bad is trying to destroy the whole universe, um, and then you go from place to place and discover little things along the way. Uh, you know what's what's going on in this area and and their relationship to that big story. Whereas this one's every time you go someplace new, it's like you find out more about how everything fits together. Um, right. For the most part, there's some weird stuff at the end that we haven't gotten to yet, but uh, um, at least here, I was, I was, yeah, I, w- I was still really satisfied, just kind of getting more context for uh, for everything we'd kind of seen so far. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Rich, how about you? How did you feel about that? Um, I think it's handled well. Like Josh was saying, maybe some of the lines are blurred a little bit. Uh, later on typically i'm not a fan of just twists that feel completely out of nowhere and completely unearned (laughs) like it strikes me as lazy but i think there's a nice middle ground you can hit anywhere and i think sort of piecing it all out slowly as uh eastward does is works for the most part uh the most confusing part for me was trying to figure out uh which member of the gorilla solomon was (laughs) (laughs) clint eastwood I, I think he's 2D. <laughs> oh, okay. My bad. My bad. Yeah, I I think I talked about it a little bit beforehand. I kind of like some of the foreshadowing that happens in this game. I definitely think that they did a really, did a really good job of kind of sending off Isab- or not, Isabel Alva 
as she was alive because she's like, I know I'm not supposed to go in, but I need to ben! see if, but I need to see if Isabel's okay. And you're like, oh, she's fucked. Mm. <laughs> you're just like, she's fucking dead. And okay, uh, Florin. And of course, of course, you as the player, are like, no, 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 don't be stupid, don't do that shit. But you know she's gonna go do it, and there's nothing you can do. And um, mm-hmm. don't go back there. Killers in there, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the the foreshadowing in this. I also enjoyed Solomon wasn't introduced as one of the main villains until about a third of the way through the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting choice, not a bad one at all. I, I liked it because usually you kind of get w- the, the the conflict early on in the game, and the the conflict the the pacing is different in a really satisfying way in this game, where they start rolling out the conflict at an almost slower pace than you would expect it to, because initially the conflict is escaping this social caste society that um is we do that in about two hours right and then and then suddenly it's about uh this miasma and i mean that's still obviously a threat but then it, it evolves beyond that even to the miasma and solomon and it it, it really is it, it goes beyond what you your initial impression of solomon which is this this kooky character who's spouting nonsense about the end of the world into okay he's actually a little bit formidable and Mm -hmm. he's not the only one trying to bring about the end of days and so it becomes a lot more important to understand his story and what's happening there and i think the foreshadowing of some of that stuff like when the alternate sam and again i'm trying to i i like i understand we're doing all spoilers here but i'm trying to do it in line with when it happens with the discussion um, so as to not reveal her actual identity quite yet. But his discussion with her is also really fascinating because of that. Then like you understand, okay, something's really bad is about to happen and there's nothing anyone else can do to stop it because they don't know what's about to happen. And it's not so much of a twist as more of it's again, I know something bad that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know something bad's going to happen. And you learn right yeah. when the characters do. And I really like that about the game. Yeah. Uh, so and... I, I, I want to retread that too much because I already said that. But yeah, go ahead. Sure. Well, no, no. I, I Kind of like we mentioned before, um, there's so much buildup um, in New Damn City feeling like, look at all this stuff we've done to make sure that we're you know, able to survive if the miasma comes back. And then this, you know, this section is, is the, it's coming back, um, moments. And, um, again, like we know it before everyone else. And it's, I think it, it works really well kind of showing how with these systems in place, are they actually going to, are they are they going to be able to pull off what they have been planning for this whole time? Um, like that's that's kind of the big thing. Like it's it's go time. Will this plan work that they've kind of been preparing for? But in, in a in a sort of distant like oh yeah like that, that's that's like total. A, well, hopefully this never happens. Yeah, sort, <laughs> sort of a of sort of a thing. And uh, mm. 
they they almost like take the first one too much in stride they're like oh we did it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like mission accomplished yeah and it's like yep. uh, i don't think you should be so, that ladies and excited. gentlemen we got them <laughs> like did you <laughs> did you <laughs> <laughs> we don't get the smoking bogey. a cigar on top of the dam. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Lee, well, Lee would actually smoke a cigar. Yeah, he's always yeah. smoking a yeah. cigar. It's not out of character for him. Not at all. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I I love how how the pacing is handled in this, and a, a large part of that mm-hmm. is due to us getting a little bit more information than the characters. So I think it's really cool. Now, let's jump. <laughs> let's jump back in. Solomon is in jail, and Isabel goes to talk to him. He tells her that he wasn't the only facilitator of the miasma, that it's also (gasps) Mother, who is Sam. He references Esther City, and Isabel decides to go there for answers. John runs into Lee, who is helping others around the town who have been affected by the miasma. John rescues some people from Old Town, a part of the New Dam City. Isabel goes to Sam and meets Mother, which is Sam's alternate version. Mother encourages her plan of going to Esther City. John and Sam meet William and Daniel at the station to leave New Dam City to go after Isabel. The townspeople, including Jasper, say goodbye to them. Lee also says a heartfelt goodbye as well. The four board William's special train car and set off. While Sam and Daniel, the robot, are sleeping, William asks about his own son, Daniel. I said that weird. I should have said his real son, Daniel. If you recall, that is the bullied boy in the beginning that Sam helped. The next day, they see massive mushrooms and a dark haze on the tracks. A train car suddenly appears behind them and runs into them. After, it sends them back in time to right when they arrived in the mushroom field. Isabel is wandering through the hazy field on her rocket, also lost. William and Daniel push their train car to the limits and end up crashing it into another train. The four learned that they've crashed onto Monk Hollywood. Rich, this story has had wacky aspects to it up until this point but when they crash their train onto another train called monk hollywood were you personally tickled pink because i was like this is right up rich's alley i fucking love everything about this part of the game it's so (laughs) dumb um here's the thing uh i talked like at length not in this podcast when we talked about this in this game before how like this game felt equal parts zelda as it was earthbound this is the most earthbound bullshit in this game. This uh-huh. this entire segment. Like, if you told me that like this was the plot of Mother Four, I'd be like, yeah, that that tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I, I love when trains connect to other trains. But what about trains that enter other trains? Oh. Yeah, I read Snowpiercer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a euphemism, right? No. The, the train is called Snow, and it pierced. Mm, never mind. Well, that's no. Actually, ironically, Snowpiercer is the train that gets pierced. Um, <laughs> I, irony. French comic books. 
I yeah. And but, then the train goes inside of the other train. Uh, just the train puts the baguette in the other train. Like you take the small baguette and it go inside the other baguette, and now there are two of the same baguette. You know, um, I gotta be honest with you. I think we gotta take French and France slander off the board because I saw today that they are getting rid of a lot of their coal plants in favor of nuclear power plants. We mm. would like to make our baguettes with the nuclear power. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, apparently it's not off the table. Okay, my bad. My they bad for assuming. It's dangerous, but is untrue. Is blown out the proportion. The nuclear power is clean and efficient for France. <laughs> you know, this podcast is going off the rails as it should right in this section. What's this podcast about? <laughs> I told you, trucks. But, um... Yeah, I I was just so confused by what the fuck was happening in this chapter, and I loved it, and I was just, I was so confused. I was like, all right, we're going to take a detour, but um, it's also I, kind of important, but it's also kind of ridiculous. I only have one complaint about this section, and that's I'm not a big fan of that stealth sequence. Ah, uh, yeah, um, that's that's a really good point. A, uh, it's funny, actually, another game with the same, like, level of quirkiness, uh, that I talked about a lot, th- uh, just, like, a month ago, but it is a release from last year, is, uh, Wolfstride, towards its back end, has a similar sequence that I really don't like, and it is completely out of nowhere. Why do you, why, so, and to open this up to all three of us, why do you guys think that they included that section in the game? I... I think in both cases, a lot of it is like we're gonna homage a certain thing, which is like um, in in Wolf Stride, for example, it was a big like Metal Gear reference. There's a little bit of like Metal Gear tinge in here. It's also them making a lot of Ape Escape references. There were a ton of that. Uh, but yeah, I, I there think was it, a ton of that, I guess, because it's one situation. Yeah. Yes, <sighs> English. Sorry. Uh, and it's not like the worst thing ever. It's just like it's, I don't know. I get wanting to do something like that, but it's hard to execute properly in a game that isn't completely built for that. And I don't know. There, there's this weird necessitation people have to be like, I want to do a stealth sequence and then it doesn't always work. And then we're here. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> sorry. Rich, I was laughing because you, you said execute and we've all said things incorrectly during this podcast if, uh, in my defense i said execute because i was burping in the middle of that sentence <laughs> <laughs> well at least you got it out at least you got it yeah. out but no um yeah i i i didn't dislike this section i think yeah actually now that you mentioned it the stealth part of the game is my least favorite part of the game by a country mile not yeah, that it's, it's bad but no it just it was it, it glaring weird thing compared to everything else you're like this is not great gameplay and like with a lot of like four stealth sequences like this frustrated me for like 20 minutes where i would have preferred to just keep playing the part of the game that's awesome same same and mm-hmm. just it was such a weird it was such a weird narrative too because like you're going we're gonna we're gonna get into it here a little bit so i guess i won't break into the narrative too much but it just it, it's kind of out of nowhere and it's something where they made a whole chapter out of it that I felt like they could have done in like 20 minutes and I would have been okay. No, this should have been longer if anything. <laughs> this should have been most of the game. They should have done a uh, pairing with Ape Escape, right? 
Yeah, like an no, official I one. mean, there's some pretty clear-cut Ape Escape references in this that I really like. Yeah, I it... like Ape Escape. I don't think that's a bad opinion to have. Mm-hmm. You heard it here, folks. He likes Ape Escape. Something you didn't know. Yeah, that's why that's why Metal Gear Solid 3 is the best. It's because of the Ape Escape crossover. Yeah, I honestly, I think about that mission all the fucking time where, like, uh... Ocelot's taking the mission really seriously, and he's literally talking to a monkey. Yep. It's fucking great. As one does. They should let Japan Studio make games again. That'd be awesome. Well, keep crossing your fingers. Maybe someday it'll happen. But not today. (laughs) Probably not. No. Josh, you have anything else you want to add to the zany nature of what transpired? Not quite exact Moncollywood itself, but just, like, the whole process of getting on there. Um... I mean, there's a whole lot more stuff that we haven't really gotten into yet, kind of with the build up to this. That I'm kind of, mm. I'll, I'll probably wait to that to get into most of it. Um, but again, with our the whole foreshadowing thing, it's the first time you've met talking monkeys this whole time on this maybe a circus train that's been on. You know, since you're going through a time loop, somehow this train has been here for some time. How? How what's long go- what's going to... on there? Yeah. And these are the, again, first talking monkeys you've met. Um, it, it it plants a ton of questions in your mind. I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that until you get to this next little bit, and we'll kind of go from there. Uh, right. In, unless you didn't have anything planned for the end of the train sequence, which... I'll, I'll definitely be mentioning some stuff. All right. Chug, right. chug a motherfucker. Uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't know blocking-wise where, where we were yeah, heading no, to I, next. Yeah, no, I get that. I I don't know if this is an example of necessarily jumping the shark per se, but it, it just it definitely felt out of place. Not in a it's not bad. It just it's not great either. Yeah, um I I'll bring this up then. Um before we move on. Yeah. This this like I mentioned before how this is more about kind of going on an you know, an adventure and and kind of getting more and more context for everything going on. Um, this is one of those sections where you go to a new place, there's something going on in that new place, and you find out about the new place, and not much else sections of the game. Mm. Um, very much a detour, and in a lot of games, you get lots of detours. Like, something happens, distracts you from your main quest, and you've got to, you know, deal with this situation, and then move on with what you're, you're, you've got going on. This is one of the, like, few few spots where that happens in eastward uh and this is kind of that this is uh anyway um, it's you're you're right it's this massive tr- yeah yeah i'll say i'll save it i'm sorry i think it's used as a moment to decompress in like a smart way honestly because you have just seen a lot happen in a sh- like pretty like you spent a lot of time in new damn city a lot of stuff happened and like it kind of gives you a wackier like sub adventure to i guess give us give that stuff some time to breathe and let that stuff sit with you there's also some really weird implications of like some kind of pornographic ai um yeah yeah, yeah i forgot about that the pornographic ai good call yeah <laughs> but no good call good call on that other thing that like yeah maybe it serves as kind of like a temporary mental reprieve i think that's a good point actually it's like the filler arc in an anime yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways it does serve as that. I, I, I do think that it's good because you do get a little bit more, as we're going to talk about here, 
about certain characters and motivations and stuff like that. So you're, it's not completely without it, its its purpose, but yeah, it just definitely felt a little weird, like like filler arc does in anime. So you're absolutely you can right skip you can skip the Davy Back fight episodes. <laughs> All right, let's get back. Let's get into the actual meat of this, so we can discuss this now. John and Sam talk to the people or the monkeys on the train in hopes of finding Isabel. They get intel that if they move extremely fast, they would be able to get out of the fog and get to Esther Island. In order to get to the other side of the train to get the info on Isabel, John must participate in making a movie. Afterwards, the director shows them the rocket, but it's not Isabel's. Meanwhile, another older Solomon is seen talking to Mother again, who tells him to send his plaything to help awaken Sam and start up the factory. Solomon orders his troops to round up the citizens and John and Sam. William and Daniel free everyone. John and Sam go through the factory to find Solomon waiting for them. After defeating the second Solomon, he tells them that Isabel once came to Monk Hollywood a long time ago. They go talk to the citizens, who reveal that Isabel crashed there a long time ago on her rocket, and time moves differently in the fog. They find Isabel's rocket in Solomon's room. Daniel attaches it to their train car, and they leave Monk Hollywood. They get through the mist and reach Esther City. So, Josh, the heroes have reached their final destination. And before we discuss Monk Hollywood in a little bit more detail, I have a question. It took fighting through a temporal loop to get to the final destination. Do you think other series like Star Trek influenced this section of the story at all? Um, yeah. Yeah, no. You don't, you don't do the weird time stuff like that without having some sort of... I mean, you can. Like, there's nothing stopping you. But at this point, it's worth knowing how these things have been handled before. Um, right. Also, and, even uh, if you didn't know it, you've been influenced it by that oh, stuff. Yeah. Through yeah. absorbing other things that were influenced by it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Like, you, you know, you know the influence of it through, like, even if you, I guess, experience, like, temporal loop and time mechanics in a different art form or medium yeah. it was l- most likely influenced by star trek exactly exactly mm-hmm. um which is why in most stories if you're in the past you know it because whoopi goldberg is there that's true yeah whoopi apologizing for what she said about the holocaust yeah in- interesting whoopi <laughs> goldberg's an interesting human being these days i was i was gonna allude uh... to that I'm glad you mentioned it. I just figured I'd knock it out of the park. Why not? You know, I get it out. I said, why not? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you, you. That was fucking. It wasn't even like a pitch, man. It was T ball. Mm -hmm. She's uh, reprising her role as Guinan, by the way. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. In the Hmm. next season of Picard, she's reprising her role. Which, which I think is interesting. Hmm. I wonder if they're gonna give her like the. Tron legacy treatment. Uh, like make her look younger? Yeah. Just given or if they're just gonna hope people don't remember that that's her whole deal with their character. Give her the old Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question what they will do with her character or yeah, what they're, what they're going to do with her. But uh, anyways, yeah, fo- focusing on uh, 
getting very derailed there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, podcast. I want to open the floor to you guys to talk a little bit more. We're talking about trucks. Uh, talk a little bit more about Mon Hollywood and what you guys felt about that place. Um, sure. You know, uninhibited at this point. Uh, Mon Hollywood's dope. Uh, it, we talked about it being filler and like the idea of the temporal loop now kind of being out there. I think what's more interesting about Mongolywood is that when you understand the purpose this part of the game serves and where it needs to get you, they could have put anything inside that train. It doesn't really matter what it is. What they chose to put in there were a bunch of intelligent monkeys running a movie studio, and I applaud them. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't you can't be mad at them for the inventiveness of what they were trying to do. Yeah, it really does bring levity them, to it. Yeah, it, it's very it's a purely comedic sequence that's like weirdly oh well written, and they get to wink, wink, nudge, nudge reference to a bunch of games that they clearly, oh so much, so much, and uh, some of the best like, jokes. Yeah, are in this section too. Like, um, leading, you're making me like it more as you guys keep talking. Leading, about leading it. Really into good. that stealth sec- section, which whatever whenever you get tossed in jail one of my favorite bits here it's like because of course they're running the hollywood movie sets on this train the jails they throw you in are just facades and you're all standing standing in these jails until someone comes up to you and mentions you know, there's just the front wall of this jail, so it, it just looks like you're all in jail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can just walk right out of it. <laughs> you just walk out of it. It's just uh, it's one of my favorite bits. It works so well in a 2D game like that as well, where you're, you know, you can't tell. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think, I don't remember which monkey, one of them just, like, who wasn't there just shows up and just, like, walks in to join you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. wait, what? It's <laughs> such a, that's such a good bit. I, yeah. Yeah, the game has, like, a lot of little humor humorous not bits per se but i guess moments and then this 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 i guess particular chapter is filled with a lot of them so mm-hmm. yeah you guys are selling me more you guys are definitely that selling you can barge in uh taking a bath that you can barge in on and they like freak out uh there's some funny stuff <laughs> yeah yeah but then again, what the fuck was up with that pornographic machine bit? Yeah, there's like a weird old like virtual porno theater thing going on um, that like functions as the store. Uh, it, it's a really weird joke, and I don't know if it is something that just like is lost in translation and ends up being weird. I don't know. Like that yeah. one, I walked out of it going like, that was a little iffy. Yeah, yeah, I was I was like I thought they were well the thing is I I think the thing that bothered <laughs> me about that particular joke is it seemed like they were going to lean into it and then they never lean into it. Oh, they never double down on it. You they just move on. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of hard to do that when you have a child, but like the child doesn't go in there. Uh Sam doesn't go in there, so it's like are you what was the point of this? Yeah, Ma- they specifically reference make uh Sam wait outside, which yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I guess you needed a, a moment from that annoying bitch, but I, I mean, I don't know why they had to use that to do it. Tell us how you really feel. I'm just kidding. I I, I love Sam. I love yeah, Sam very much. It's a weird take. <laughs> it, it was a very weird take. I was just trying to say something. I thought I'd get you guys to like 
burst out laughing and, and we unexpected. Did, by the and, way, never point out the more obvious joke that the name of the chapter is Once Upon a Time in Monk Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a reference to um uh, uh, what, what is this joke? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for you to like the obvious joke is he's going to love- try as hard as he can to not say the obvious reference, and I'm wondering what where is this going? I actually no, I was just going to sit there and keep pretending I don't know what the reference is. To. Well, well, that's oh the, the, see oh, okay I thought you were doing that's which is where my I was favorite going, thing yeah. to do is like you didn't know what the punchline was when you started the sentence because I love doing that. <laughs> And you're just like, I'll figure this out along the way, and then you don't. No, I was, I I was just pretending like I didn't know what the reference was to. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you guys played, you played into it perfectly. So thank you. Great. So I I got you, fuckers. (laughs) Fucking got stupid ass me. Got me. But all right, let's get back into the story. We're almost done, I guess. We're three quarters of the way done, I should say. John and Sam are suddenly conscious at a funeral on an island for Solomon. They take the ferry to Esther Island. They are given a job of delivering three packages by a friendly pirate boss. On the second delivery, they run into William and Daniel, who are going to see a mechanic who will turn Daniel into a normal boy. They deliver the three packages and return to the pirate boss. Suddenly, time resets back to the funeral. The second day, they have to find a new chip for Daniel. They do the deliveries, and time resets again. Day three, they ask a robot named Floyd for his chip to give to Daniel. They do the operation, but it goes wrong, so they shut it down. On the third delivery, they hear an old man, Ivan, mention finding Isabel. Time resets, and it's day four. They stay on the island and look for a man named Thomas. They find him who calls Sam mother. Thomas goes with them back to the main island. He has them deliver three letters. They return, but Thomas has gone to the Eternal Tower. John and Sam meet the five friends, including Thomas and Ivan, who help them find out that Isabel has been to the tower in a previous time loop day. They find clues to where Isabel went. It leads to Ivan's journal, which says to find Solomon's flame. They go back to the island to find Solomon's grave. They hit a switch, revealing it's a secret passage. They go inside and find the flame before time resets yet again. It's day five. John and Sam go to the Eternal Tower, and the five meet them there to encourage them. They reach the top and turn off the time field turning the city into a ghost town. The five are waiting for them at the base of the tower. They say goodbye to Sam one last time before disappearing. Rich, it seems as if each chapter is governed by a theme or two. What do you think is the main theme of chapter seven? Huh. Uh, confusion. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I I don't know I don't I don't I don't really know what to chalk it up to like seven is um probably a confusing chapter for a lot of people because it's doubling down on that idea of the temporal loop and you uh sort of having to to get an idea of what this city is and how it is still existing in the way it is and 
you talked earlier about how a lot of the characters, um, sometimes we have a little bit more information than them. This is one of those instances where it almost seems like we have less for a while. Yes. Yes. It, it's, it's really cool how the, the developers kind of play with your perspective on the series and sequence of events as well, which is kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Josh, how about you? Like, what what did you think was one of one or two of the main themes in um, this chapter? I mean, if again, there is any at all, I kind of feel like the sort of environmental reading is one of one of the easier ones to make of the whole game. And this kind of spoiler for later, but not really because it's a spoiler. It's saying that there, there won't be a spoiler. They they never really tell you exactly why the time loop is here. Like it's it uh, you don't know if it's like these people somehow thought they were avoiding the apocalypse by blocking the town in a time loop. Oh, we'll be fine here. Um just living for forever, just stuck in this, you know, this one day over and over again. Um or or what exactly is going on there but it does feel like oh this this was this was another alternate solution to something maybe like it's it's not sure if that was something they decided or imposed on them right uh, like it definitely seems or like a solution like, that didn't work the way they thought it would yeah it's it's hard to tell exactly because it seems um something that i liked about deathloop and thought was interesting was the idea that these characters were supposed to re- retain their memories through all the different loops over and over again, mm. but it, it doesn't work and they don't um, is, is something that it has obviously happened here in the city um, where I was going to say, yeah, I think it's a, a similar idea where like the impre- the read I kind of get. And again, this is all like speculation Mm-hmm. was that the idea was they could spare themselves by having this time anomaly where they would basically exist outside of time. What they yeah. didn't realize was they'd get caught in this loop of this living the same day over and over again. Yeah, and it it seems like the people who kind of knew more about what was going on were able to leave themselves enough clues beforehand to be able to kind of not be completely helpless, but still be mostly helpless in the face of this. Because as it goes on, you find more and more people that, oh, they kind of, they have more context about what's going on. And once you explain to them that you know you're in a loop, they're able to kind of help you through it. Um, yeah. Which is, which, it's a neat take on that. I, I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it, yeah. it is a very vague section of the game. Uh, is kind of like there, there, there are not a lot of questions that are answered here. Like, well, there are, but it, it's one of those things. You're left like, to draw a lot of your own conclusions. Yeah, it's which like I think the, is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they answer, like they give you more context, but they ask you so many other questions at the same time um, that the 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 whole section kind of feels. Again, like they pulled way out. But you're not like most of what you're seeing, even given all this additional context, is is blurry. Um, yeah, that's one of the things I was kind of confused about is they don't resolve exactly 
why this time loop happened. Like, I, I mean, there, you're kind of left to think that by by talking to the other characters, maybe part of it had to do with just eternal life, not you know, not having to you know grow old. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it was somebody like Solomon did some kind of science experiment, or one of the other guys did some kind of science experiment, and it was just a product of that, and they never figured out how to turn it off, or they couldn't remember. Maybe it has a, th- a thematic element of be careful what you wish for, or something like that, but that, that, that feels too generic, I feel like, to be the ultimate theme there. It's It's really interesting to think about, because I think... Maybe it's something as simple as time is something that we really don't understand. And there is a lot about the world and science that we really don't understand as mm-hmm. a whole. And that, you know, certain. Science I, is I, a liar sometimes. <laughs> science is a bitch. Stupid science, bitch. <laughs> Couldn't even save my town. <laughs> that's right but no I, I i wonder i wonder if that was part part to do with it and then the other is just things don't turn out the way you intended for them to you know maybe it's something mm-hmm. as simple as that or maybe there was no thematic element at all it was just more about what is happening in the story and that was kind of a vessel for um what was happening with these characters who knows i just don't, i don't think there's anything that cut and dry but there's definitely stuff to glean. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe there are multiple smaller th- thematic elements at play here. Possibly. I don't know. I yeah. just I wanted to talk about it with you guys, see if you guys came up with anything. I was trying to think about it, and I was like, oh, maybe this, maybe that. I'm not sure. So, Guess what time it is, though? The Mad Dash to the End. Who doggy? Who doggy? All right, here we go. They go into the tower and take the elevator to the top. On the way, they run into an old Solomon. He attacks them, but is defeated. John and Sam meet William and Daniel at the train platform. Solomon appears and destroys Daniel. Sam is wrought with anger and guilt, and she transforms into the mother identity. She kills Solomon, and Karen arrives. I should say Charon, because it sounds like I'm saying Karen, but mm-hmm. Charon arrives. She, I need Karen to arrives to your manager. And asks, <laughs> speak to the manager. <laughs> and then the mother blows the fucking shitty haircut off of her head. She boards and leaves. John uses William's train cart and crashes into Charon. He finds a factory museum where he learns that mother was created as a higher form of life to protect the world from the miasma. He runs from some miasma and finds Mother. She sends him forward, and he finds Isabel, who has cloned and made hundreds of Alvas. Wanting to protect them, Isabel attacks John. After losing, Alva's spirit appears to tell Isabel to let go, and it's not her fault. Sam's spirit also appears and accompanies John to fight Mother, the dark spirit inside of her looking to cleanse humanity and start anew. After John defeats Mother's monstrosity, Sam overpowers Mother, thus signaling the birth of a new age. Sam is absorbed into Mother 
and they become a goodly higher power. She says she will meet John again. The final scene shows John on a train platform waiting for a train bound eastward. A girl named Sam, who looks very similar to the Sam throughout the entire game, and him strike up a conversation. An epilogue shows William fixing robotic Daniel while also taking care of his real son, Daniel. And that, everyone, is the end of the game. So, Josh, what were your impressions of the ending? Um, I love the ending of this game um, because it does something similar to the beginning of the game where it leaves you with so many more possibilities than you had moments before. Um, just, just expanding everything. I, I think one thing that you, again, there's so much vague here. I don't think mother is meant to stop the miasma. I am 90% sure mother is the cause of the miasma. Um, because earlier on, uh, when talking about Greenberg, said yeah, Greenberg, that's yep. the city that's um, destroyed. Yeah. The city that was destroyed. That's not the first time Mother destroyed Greenberg. Like in the in the tanks of of you know the breeding tanks that they've got there. They have copies of all the villagers from the town. Yeah, and it seems I like missed that. This is yep. this the miasma is something humanity has failed, and this was again like so many so many of the stories are are different takes on how we can fix what we've broken. And it seems like someone got it in their head that this miasma was the way to do it. Destroy the world, start over. And like Greenberg... Cleansing I, new I, birth. Yes, yeah. yes. Like the, the Greenberg has been restarted over and over again. And that's one of the reasons it's so nearly perfect whenever you go it's there to visit the it. the same idea, but on a smaller scale. Um, done again and again, yeah. Yeah, um... And it seems like Mother is, I, I don't know, if an AI or the, you know, entity, spirit, what, whatever. It, it, again, it's very vague. A ghost in the machine. Yeah, what, in, what in charge of the whole system. and, and She's orchestrating it in some way. Yeah, and, and, and Alva was, you know, kind of meant to be that the counterpart in, you know, in charge of New Damn City originally but who has essentially abandoned her role in doing that in and trying to actually save the people who are there uh mm. from from beforehand um and uh yeah. anyway like the, at the end of the game is kind of the the whole rejection of that idea that we just need to start over um yeah, like and, no you can build something good from what is here yeah, yeah, and I think Sam is kind of her journey through the game is just her discovering that this this um you know, the person in charge of destroying the world so we can fix it discovering that maybe we don't need to destroy the that, world like, sort it's, of a feeling. It's not all lost, yeah. It's not a yeah. lost cause. Um is but, I, I don't that's the way I read it anyway. Um and so and, I I didn't really quick. I don't want to interrupt you too no, no, much. No, no, go ahead. One one of the things I'm I'm confused about now is 
I didn't realize that Greenberg was just a facsimile. Like it was just created and created and created that are all, are all the cities like this? Well, not, again, not all of them. It seems like that was the intention. Like we're going to keep retrying this over and over again. That's why they have these different pods. Um, you know, the different, different factories to remake humanity, to try again, tweak the variables, mm. see if it works okay. this time. Um, and, uh, Again, like a few people are in the know, um, like Ava. Again, uh, it was you know apparently Alva? one Alva. I, I keep saying Alva, yeah. I, I keep ha- I have I don't know why these simple that's names okay. are the ones I have the hardest you keep time. Thinking with. of Ava Braun, that's Hitler's wife. Yeah, yeah. So so similar there. Any, um, somebody. But anyway, Solomon is <laughs> obviously you know someone connected to this plan who knows what it's supposed to do and is trying to get back on track. We need to destroy the world. Right. Because there are these pockets of resistance. That's kind of his whole whole shtick. Um, mm. Like, that's the real problem. It's not that we're, you know, these people are holding out is the problem. Like, we, we need to we need to actually have the full wipe to, to be able to fix anything. Is, is yeah, whole, we need to go deal. back to zero to reset things properly. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, just, I, I, I really like the ending being so open at that point like what what is going to get rebuilt from this uh right is such a it's a cool ending yeah, it is a really yeah. cool ending and i i i, I want to let rich go first before i i say anything so but i have yeah. some questions and some thoughts yeah sure um i think the uh i'm interested that you didn't notice the greenberg thing because i think i spent a lot of time there and i noticed it for the same reason as josh coupled with me reading a bunch of stuff when i was done um that like i got a similar read about like the greenberg basically being the small scale uh version of what the whole plan was for the world and this this take on getting like this the world is not a lost cause like no matter how bad things get we can rebuild we can fix it we don't have to wipe everything back to zero um but some of the stuff that resonates like i think even on a lower level with me are like some of those character finishers like i fucking love william and daniel and there's just something so rewarding about that final shot of uh him fixing robot daniel with real daniel there because like oh you're gonna be a real dad and also all robot daniel wanted was to meet his brother uh, you know, so you he's know finally gonna get that you know yeah. what's funny is that that was actually gonna be my next question is how, did you guys enjoy how isabel's and william's arcs um resolved but before um i want to before i comment on that i want to say and ask a few things and ponder a few things like seeing sam sam reappear um but it's a different version of sam what do, what do you guys think the implication of that is? My read, and I don't know how accurate this is, and I think a lot of it is open for interpretation, is that some part of Sam was human, and that after all was said and done, somehow, be it through those cloning vats or whatever, the human part of Sam was given a chance to live on. Hmm. That the... That, that the that the mother entity or the mother is gone, but deity. Th- that the part of her that was truly human gets like a second opportunity. Hmm. Okay. What do you yeah. think, Josh? Yeah. There again, there's so many different ways to read the ending to this. Um, because again, like 
you're you're shown throughout that kind of in order to be more resilient that it's it's not just we're trying to replace all the humans on earth we need to make extra copies of ourselves to make sure that you know that this ai is as perfect as it can be as well which is why you've got all these different copies of mother um kind of through throughout the game um and yeah like our our character is the one who got ripped out of the machine early and and you know is able to discover something outside you know what was outside what was ma- put into that system jello tube yeah yeah what was exactly exactly um and like yeah there are, there are a bunch of different possibilities for who that sam at the end was like she looked older this could have been just another sam or you know another mother that for whatever reason also escaped at some point earlier on or this could be just way later like it's it's hard to tell with that that's another part of it that i think is important is um i think it's supposed to be way later because if mm-hmm. you look at like the greenery that's around and everything, oh, yeah, it looks like, yeah. and John waiting on this train platform, it, you're given the idea that like, oh, the world is starting to exist outside of New Dam City, and mm-hmm. it's probably been years. Like that, if John's taking a train somewhere, be like, there has to be society outside of New Dam City that's thriving. He has to be going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and there are again implications that it's not all technological, or if it is all technological, it's so significantly advanced that it seems like magic i mean like a lot of the stuff with alva earlier on kind of shows that even after she died there's you know her consciousness is still absolutely you know still a part of uh of everything going on um in that section so like there it's absolutely a possibility that kind of like rich is saying this is this is the same sam but not with all the exact same memories because it's not it's not you know the same body or or anything like that um so exactly how we got to this spot is is unclear yeah for the most part probably unimportant like it's less about that how it happened and more about that it happened Hmm. do you think it's possible that the 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 sam that this is all based on, I mean, granted, yes, she was created, but there, there's the possibility, too, that maybe the original Sam at some point existed. Do you think it's in the realm of possibility that um, that they're, they're basically we're seeing the original Sam released from whatever <laughs> she was imprisoned by? Do you think that's a possibility? I mean, possibly. It's not I don't, the table. I, yeah, again, like, it's so much of it is left vague. I don't know. How much of, you know, mother was, you know, like a spirit kind of in the machine, like in like an actual consciousness. Like it, it seems like there's very much a human component to this, but like with, with, with the whole, idea of of you know we've mentioned before that a lot of these are kind of topics that have been brought up before in 
in in everything and in, in this case especially in jrpgs with the whole idea of the only way to save the world is to destroy the universe like we've got a uh like sort of sort of you know villain situation going on this this feels very much like that but like kind of taken to a this could be our world technological place with that mm. and so it's hard to say how much of sam was ever a real person as much as it was well we've cracked the human genome this is the perfect human Let, like let's put this in there grow that that can be the ai that then chooses how to restart the world sort of a situation you know blind optimism on a just completely fucking stupid plan sort of a situation that started everything off um, right so yeah, like ex- exactly how we wind up where we are at the end is is very much kind of left up to your own imagination. Uh, mm. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. No. It's it's interesting to think think about what kind of the implication there is, and yeah, it's it's kind of a harder story to understand exactly what happens and why it happens. But I think it's a really fascinating story, and I I really enjoyed the ending for the most part i especially enjoyed some of the uh the the sweeter stuff which is rich um we can get into now which is how sure. william's story wraps up and i like how isabel's story wraps up too because she gets some kind of closure at least which everybody wants yeah you know sorry kind of continue on that thought i i think part of what makes the end feel so satisfying is you get again all these human moments with all the other characters like it's it's nice seeing sam again and kind of seeing oh where 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 will this go from there but i think what kind of really makes it connect so well is you get this feeling of of, of like all these people you've met along the way kind of after the fact going who was that masked man sort of a sort of yeah, a moment yeah, exactly. um the mysterious man with the frying pan yeah um like they they've all experienced something huge that's changed them in 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 different ways and i think that's what really makes the story work so well and it's neat kind of having this question in the back of your head like oh now that sam's character can go on and experience the world without this existential threat looming over them where can that go? That's a, that's a really cool just note to leave on. I think what yeah. makes it resonate so well is all the other characters you've met along the way kind of still living their lives at this point. Um, mm. Are all those other people created then? I, no. Think? No. I mean, well, specifically the ones you know at the end are basically all the ones who have stuck around the whole time through yeah. are from Pot Rock city island city pockrock isle pockrock island island i know i knew city wasn't right but anyway you know one one of the places that managed to escape the miasma by burrowing underground uh so mm. it seems like they were you know descendants of humans who at some point knew what was coming and were able to escape yeah that's what they, makes you wonder if anybody in that town at the or the, the isle at that point knew Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure the that there's some hidden knowledge. Like there's 
they didn't accidentally come to this conclusion that we need to absolutely convince everyone to never go above ground. Like somebody that knows was more of a, a power struggle scene or yeah. somebody knows something. It's not clear who, mm-hmm. but certain people used it to carve out a seat of power for themselves. That fear. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I, yeah, I wish that stuff would have been explored a little bit more, but I also, it's not, it's not the end of the world. And I, there's a part of me that also likes that it's vague. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes ambiguity is better. Sometimes the answer is often disappointing. Uh, yeah. and it's better to leave certain things to the imagination and yeah. it feels a little bit more fantastical that way. I I'd yeah. agree with that. I would agree with that. Okay. Well, the last question I have then is the question we ask at every one, at the end of every one of these podcasts is would you recommend this game? And uh I'll go ahead and go first, knock mine out and because I'm going to keep it very succinct. Yes. Yes, I would. I love this game. Um I love the fact that there this is not the only reason why I love it, but there's a game within the game. Uh, I think that there there's a ton of content here and it's a ton of really good content and for all the reasons we we mentioned that that there's amazing character development and story development the music which we didn't even talk about because this is always about the more about the story than anything else there's so many aspects about this game to love so yes i recommend it mm-hmm. rich your turn yeah um similarly no i hate it no uh yeah this is this was one of in my some ways yes games. but in many more ways no in a lot more ways no no uh this was one of my favorite games from last year for a reason uh like colorful bright vibrant rpg with an amazing story yeah um and some of my favorite characters in video games in a long time kick-ass soundtrack there it just kind of doesn't miss like fucking get out oh, yeah. here and go play it I don't, I don't know why we're still sitting around i I actually have a question for both of you guys before, uh, and I agree with you, Rich, and before we get to Josh's, why do you think it was, um, had such a tepid, mediocre response from critics and other people? Because I, I don't see was how... Was it tepid? Like, I, I feel like most, it reviewed pretty well. I would say, uh, I'd say tepid. Tepid's probably not the right word. I would say it got, like sixes to eight sixties to 75 to eighties in that range. And I was just surprised that that's not necessarily objectively a terrible score by any stretch of the imagination, but the three of us absolutely love this game. And we had a similar instance, um, in 2020 with Ickenfell where we, we all love this game and we were just baffled how people didn't like this game and that game. And I still, and I feel that way with this game. Like, how could people I don't know, not... man. I'm seeing it's pretty close to an 8 out of 10 across the board, like, everywhere I'm seeing. That's good. That's good. That's I, I'd seen in some areas that it was not getting quite that high, but I'm glad to hear that. That makes me happy. Yeah, it's 78% Metacritic, 78% <laughs> PC Gamer, 8 out of 10 IGN. I led with Metacritic for a reason. Haha. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, like, it, it scored very well, and um, I just think it's one of those things that f- kind of flew under the radar, and I could see it turning a certain audience off, mostly because, like, there's some moments in the early hours where it does take a little bit of time to really get going, to really spin its wheels, and it's real text-heavy before it does so. And I could see that turning certain people off. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that, but I was so into the game from the beginning. Oh, I was enamored with it, but I'm a fucking RPG nerd and a fucking weeb, and it scratches all those itches. Yeah, I think that... 
as we've mentioned a bunch of times before, there are so many references. So much of this game is built on the shoulders of everything that came before it, which... It's very referential in that way. It's a game clearly made by nerds. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's a strength in the situation, kind of showing that that's the story of the game, is, is, is the idea that even when we've completely fucked up in the past, it's still worth building off of that. Um, so much of this uh, game is, is Zelda. It's Earthbound. It's, it's Gurren Lagann. It's, it's, uh, um, not seven. It's, 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 it's got all these references to other things that I think a lot of people could see and think, Oh, this is, this is lazy. Look, it's built off of like all this other stuff. I've seen this before. And and not take the time, or... but it uses those trappings and does something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very no, inspired with it. Exactly. I feel like it. It not just uses them well. Like I feel like it's important to everything it's got to say and car- carves out its own place. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really relevant to what's kind of happening in the world today, um, where it feels like the easiest thing to do when you encounter. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do this either, but it, it, a lot of times when you encounter some something that just doesn't resonate with you, you just write completely write it off, or um, that's the spirit. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think. I think there are times where people in current society just give up on things too easily, or write things off too easily. I'm not speci- specifically speaking about one thing, so it's not like if if any, anyone's like, oh, he's he's a uh, He's shading cancel culture or anything like that. I'm not trying to do anything like that. I'm just saying that I think that there are certain times where people write things off too easily. Yeah. Is that like a sunken cost when it it just requires a little bit more time that than maybe somebody is willing to give and it shouldn't be written off as a sunken cost. It should be written off just appropriately. Get it on your switch and start playing it while you're pooping. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> um, you're a captive audience. Well, yeah, yeah, but no, I, I, I kind of, I, I agree with you. It's very easy to look at this and think you've seen it before, just from the outset. I think, I think, kind of, like, has so much more to offer than that. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, it's just, and I, like, again, like it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like, and I, I think even, you know, even just looking at it from screenshots, it's, it's, it's fairly obvious from looking at that that there's some, there's more going on here, but. Some people just write that off. It's like, oh, I, I I know what this is, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really impressed with what pixel art has kind of turned into lately. Because it's not, there was a while there it's, where it's just like, it's definitely let's above make games typical. that look old, and this is not one of those. This is another, like, what what can we do that's outstanding within the, yeah, using medium the, it's, of it's, pixel art. It's well, like when you see this different, but also like on the same wavelength of like that 2.5 pixel art stuff where it's like, no, mm-hmm. we're like pushing what you can do with pixel art because like pixel art is not no longer the limitation. It's an aesthetic choice and we're going to make this thing look gorgeous. Yeah. Well, th- that's the thing is you can see the fucking facial animations of these characters. And oh, yeah. Very vividly, too. Yeah. The- like, I, like I was saying before with the unique characters for all the townspeople that you meet and not just unique characters, but unique characters with like dozens of animations a piece 
for them yeah. for different story beats when you're talking to them. And like it's that's why you remember people like the mayor of Greenberg who's in the game yeah. for like 45 minutes. Yeah, that guy's it's a fucking cunt, and you remember that guy. <laughs> that guy, the Greenberg mayor. Oh, sorry, I was thinking about the first mayor. Sorry, Pot Croc Isle. I was thinking about that guy. Like, yeah. He's a sweet old man who invites you to his house for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> he's a fucking cunt. <laughs> and he's like, "Please stay in my town and bang this nice lady." <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what makes him a cunt. I'm just okay. kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyways, continue with your point. I'm sorry. No, no. The, no, the, you made the, it. That old man's a cunt. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. That's what I was driving to. Took a you while to get my there. Mind. We got there. Yeah. No, I, I, I am liking games that are, instead of only being re- referential, they're making a, a choice, a cognizant choice, mm-hmm. um, and they're using it in a creative and masterful way. So, yeah, I would agree with you, Josh. Um, so I assume, Josh, you also recommend this game. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, never, I never got around <laughs> actually saying that, but yes, I, yeah. I, think, I think it's absolutely worth your time to, to see what this game has to say. And again, mm. again, like I said before, there's so much that's left to your own interpretation within this that that even though we just spoiled the hell out of it it's still worth seeing and to see what else you get out of it um i wanted to i I have this in a note in a doc i have up i forgot to mention it because i i think it's one of my favorite lines because it's such a weird thing that only works in a video game um when you're entering that factory museum at the end there's like a guard robot and when you approach it, the first thing it says to John is, you are carrying an abnormal amount of weapons. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I loved that. And it's like, he's not even really carrying that many weapons. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a lot for anyone, really. He's got like a gun, uh, a pistol, a flamethrower. Oh, yeah, at that um, point, yes, you're right. Bombs. Yeah. He's got a lot of stuff. <laughs> that is a good point, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there you have it, everyone. I, this this game, I we loved it so much. That's why we had to go back um, and talk about it. It's been out for all, almost five months at this point, but it, it, yeah, we I still think about in, that game. Oh yeah, back in September, way back in September oh, so of six 2021. Months. Yeah, six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still think about that game often. It's a very Great very game. wonderful game, um, and it's kind of by the time that this podcast is out. It should be out that I interviewed the composer for this game, Joel Corlitz. Um, and did he tell you when I'm getting my vinyl? <laughs> I didn't ask. I, I know they are part. I know they are partnered with I Am Eight Bit, so I assume an announcement will be coming. Yeah, I imagine it's due to the. Uh, the yeah, a lot of the merch change they've had planned for this game since launch still hasn't come out because of COVID supply chain yeah. stuff. Like they've. There's there's a set of pins of Sam and John that uh that they've had announced for fan gamers since the game came out and I it's mm. it's such a good pin set and it's not out yet and I've been dying for, yeah. for that. Anyway, yeah. Literally dying. Dying. I'm dying. Literally over here. dying. I was I was going more for the uh uh fucking what's his name from Parks and Rec, but we'll go for that. Rob Lowe's character. They've got a, a good uh Yeti's got a good uh t shirt and a Sam pin. Mm-hmm. 
but that's not good enough. Oh, God damn it. Um, but anyways, yeah. So that episode should be out by the time this is up. Um, it will be through Evoking the Sublime. And that's the podcast where I interview devs about the creation and history of their video games. And uh, now I'm breaking into composers, which is awesome. It was a really, really good discussion. We talk a little bit about Eastward and uh, other games that he's worked on as well. So that'll be a good uh, way for you to get some more content if you love this game as much as we did. It was a really good interview. But um, anyways, uh, enough of plugging ourselves other than saying if you want more content from us head over to sorechomp.com where we have more podcasts merchandise articles and we have a patreon which you can figure out how to support which uh, gets you this show two weeks early and also um allows you to help us out in making this kind of content that's how we make this content is through um donations from our amazing subscribers so anyways uh thank you so much for checking out the show uh this was one of the episodes I was really, really looking forward to, and I know it's a longer one, but hey, sometimes that just happens, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, I want to thank Rich for being here, and I want to thank Josh for being here as well. I was your host, Shay. Uh, we'll be back next episode with something that we have never done on the Chomping After Dark feed. I'm really excited for that. Rich and I are going to break into that. What's that going to be? I guess you'll find out when the next episode goes live. Take care. Woo. And that's going to be the...